are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I'm Janine, and this is Get the Funk Out. Hope you all had a great weekend, and no one is starting the Monday in a funk. All right, if you're not familiar with my show, you can visit the show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. List every guest I've ever had on the show since I started the show in 2011. Uh, Let me see. I'm going to share the details for this morning. Uh, Standing by to join us is Karen V. Johnson. She's going to talk about her new book, Living Grieving, Living Grieving, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. I want to just share a little bit about her background. Uh, Karen Johnson's fast-paced professional career as a lifetime appointed federal judge came to an abrupt halt when she lost her 27-year-old son to a heroin overdose. Rather than grieve in a way that made people around her comfortable, she did the unexpected. She quit her job, sold her house with all of her belongings, and went on a a two-and-a-half-year journey. Unbelievable. That took her all over the world, finding a healing practice along the way. She is going to talk about her book, Living Grieving, and she's standing by to join us right now. Good morning, Karen. Hey, hi. Thank you so much for calling into the show. Well, thank you for having me. Where are you calling in from? I am calling in from um, Cooperstown, New York. Oh, okay. That's a that's where they have the baseball museum. Right, right. Baseball Hall of Fame and Glimmerglass Opera and a beautiful Otsego Lake. That's so nice. Well, I'm so yeah. glad you could join us. Uh, as you know, the show is called Get the Funk Out. And um, the show actually started because I lost a friend of mine in the end of 2010 and when um, your press or PR rep, Mary Ann, sent me uh, information on you, um, I thought, oh, I have to have her on the show. Um, first of all, give me a sense, before we dive into the book, of your background. Yeah, so, um, yeah, um, I have interesting backdrop to my life, really. I um, ended up getting master's degrees and even a Fulbright scholarship to Afghanistan. And Amazing. Then I went to law school at Georgetown and became a lawyer and practiced law for 30 years, mostly criminal law and a little bit of energy law. I became an administrative law judge. Um, and then my son, Benjamin, who is 27, passed from a heroin overdose. Mm. And everything changed. Sure. Everything shifted. I was like I was thrown out of the matrix. Nothing made sense anymore. And it was a long process um, that involved him appearing to me and me sensing, feeling, knowing his presence. Mm-hmm. It allowed me to see that death is not the end. There really is life after death. And I ended up um, retiring and selling all my house, my car, my worldly goods, and traveling two and a half years on a worldwide journey to speak to to shamans and spiritual leaders about grief and death and trying to make sense of it all. Mm -hmm. And what are some things you discovered? What I discovered is that different cultures deal with death very very differently than we do in our culture. Our culture is very... Um, you know, we're in this keep everything quick, snap, snap, hurry up, mm-hmm. sound bite, all these things. And, and we almost do that with people that are grieving, too. Hurry up, time to get over it, time to move on, time to... Ridiculous. And what I learned is that grief 
doesn't work like that. No. Grief is a journey. And when people realize that they're on a journey with their grief and that it's their own journey and it's going to take them as long as it takes, it takes a tremendous amount of pressure off of people who don't need to be under a lot of pressure at that time in their life. Right. I know I I often hear people say, you know, so-and-so or my family member thinks I should just move on already, you know. Uh, I mean, it's a personal experience. No one can tell you. Nobody can tell you. And and so there's lots of information on there and, and books that talk to you about, um, okay, well, you need to do guau, you need to go to dinner, you need all the steps that you need to take mm-hmm. um, to heal from grief. But my book is like the precursor to that. What if the reason you can't quite do it and you just don't feel ready is because you're stuck. Yeah. And you're stuck in your grief and you're need some help to look at the underlying reasons why you're stuck. Things like judgment. Who judged you? Mm-hmm. Who were you judging? Maybe you judged yourself. So many people say, oh, I should have made my husband or my wife uh, go to the doctor. I should have made my son or daughter go into, re- I should have done this, I should have done that. So judging themselves so harshly, we often do that. Yeah. And Yeah, and suffering, all the stories we tell ourselves about what happened and and how it could have been different and how it should have been different and all these things. So I have, my book has 16 practices where people look at things like non-judgment, non-suffering, non-attachment. Oh my gosh, we're so attached to the people we love that we don't see that there is still life on the other side. Yeah. And so... It doesn't work to approach this on a day-to-day kind of physical plane. We have to approach this by up-leveling. We want to get out of our reptilian brain into our neocortex, and we do this through ceremony. And so my book is really about having people sit with a candle and a pie pan and write down things like who are they judging, who's Mm -hmm. judging them, what are the stories that are going round and round and round in their head, what are they attached to. Yeah. And so... Even that loved one that they're so desperately attached to and releasing it to God, to spirit, to the universe, the cosmos, the collective consciousness, whatever your belief system is, but allowing it to be released mm-hmm. and allowing room in your heart for peace and clarity and certainty to come in. Yeah. And so it's that process of embracing grief. Um, and I'll share something with you. As I mentioned, so I lost a friend of mine uh, end of 2010, and, oh, the grief. I mean, yeah. I would say, you know, I will never stop missing her. But it was this whole, was, I mean, for 10 years, you know, I still think about it, and it still hurts. And I, and I feel for people that um, they just can't let it go. I mean, I feel like you can take baby steps, but you have to be really gentle with yourself. And, it, again, it's a very, yeah. very personal journey and I feel like I I had I gained greater insight and I had some really meaningful powerful things happen after she died so it's yeah. you know very personal yeah very very personal and very it can be very beautiful and it can be very awakening and so my journey is the journey of the bereaved through transition resurrection and rebirth the same journey our loved ones on the other side are taking so 
they're transitioning from a physical body to a spiritual. We're transitioning, too, from having them in our lives to not having them in our lives. And that takes some amount of adjustment. Mm -hmm. And then they wake up on the other side into resurrection. They're looking around and going, oh, wow, this is a new place. And so do we. We kind of wake up at some point and look around and go, oh, okay, so this is life without. This is life after death day. Mm-hmm. And then eventually they uh, are reborn on the other side, however you see that, into a new physical form or to heaven or whatever you see. And, and we, too, can be reborn um, into new lives out of the ashes of the old one. And I think we're actually wired for transformation. In my book, we call it, the shamans call it um, indigenous alchemy, indigenous for this innate or native desire and alchemy for transformation. And so when we keep ourselves really stuck and we keep our houses as shrines and we refuse to move on, it's really hard. It's hard on us. Sure. It's hard to be there. But sometimes society gives us these mixed messages like, well, if you don't grieve long enough and hard enough, then, oh, she didn't really care. Ugh, and if you grieve ridiculous. too hard and too long, yeah. then people say, oh, she really needs help. She needs a psychiatrist. So you can't win. Yeah. No, you can't win. <laughs> <laughs> you can't win. You can't win. So you might as well go on your own journey. And that's the thing I like to leave people with is this is your journey. And you can go on this and and create something from the past, something that honors your loved one. We're not trying to leave them behind or forget them. That's not the point of any of it. The point of it, of all of it, is that as we move on, so too are they free to move on in their afterlife. Sure. Because you know, they're around. They see us. And people tell me, oh, well, how can they see us if they went to heaven? And I say, well, it's not prison. So, you know, yeah. they can come and go from there. I, and I, they I, see me... us and they see our suffering and it keeps them from being totally free to do what they need to do on the other side. So this is a way for to look at it a little bit differently and to upload everything to our neocortex, that level of ceremony, and so that at the end of the process of 16 exercises, people really have shifted a lot of energy. They see things from a different perspective. The Dalai Lama says the only thing we can change is our own mind. And when we change our mind, we change our perspective. Let me just interject, for those just tuning in, I'm speaking with Karen V. Johnson, talking about her new book, Living Grieving, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. Um, I, I love, um, there's some information that I put up on the show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org, that, you know, here we've been through this enormous time of, you know, stress because of the pandemic. Yeah. And some people are, you know, have lost loved ones, pets, jobs, et cetera, et cetera income. Um, you spell it all out here. Businesses, yeah, yeah, businesses, loss of self. And I think even for myself, like you've, I've kind of dialed into like who I really am, what I really want, how I want to live my life. And um, there's a percentage here, 72% of Americans say that they know someone who has died or hospitalized due to COVID, making yeah. 6.6 million Americans um, affected yeah. by bereavement. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Huge number. And then uh, if you look at the statistics for overdoses, they've gone up um, about 30%, 30 
especially during COVID when um, services weren't available for people to go to Mm -hmm. um, for therapy and group therapy and all those sorts of things kind of shut down. And now we have this fentanyl epidemic. And so between COVID and overdoses, there's so many people that are touched. Very few people have gone through this unscathed uh, in some way. Yes. And you talk about transformation. I feel Mm -hmm. like um, there's so much to learn about yourself and the process when you lose someone or something or yeah. Or that job that you loved. And I feel like it is an opportunity for growth uh, in so yeah. many ways. It is an opportunity for growth. And unfortunately, in our culture, we see, we associate getting married. We know that's a transformative experience that has tremendous amount of energy. We look at parenthood, same thing. We look at grief and we go, oh, wow, that's got to be sad. That's got to be desperate. That's got to be, you know, lonely and, and um, dark and 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 it really doesn't. There's a tremendous amount of energy with grief, too, and grieving. If we can tap into, we can really begin to heal and to create something new. I mean, the fact is, our loved one isn't in this realm anymore with us. And so what do we do with that? How can we use that and envelop that and embrace it? and create something bigger than just us. Sure. What was your process like for writing this book? Did you start while you were on that journey for two and a half years? I did. I I started out, I thought it was going to be just a a blog. Oh, I went here, and I heard from this one and that one, and then it just became more and more of a sacred journey. And more and more, I felt that it was downloaded to me. Even this... um, journey of the bereaved, the hero's journey of the bereaved, oh my gosh, it just came to me, sitting in meditation, sitting in prayer, and all the places that I visited, and I noticed, oh my gosh, every time I walked into a temple or a shrine um, or a church or a cathedral and they had candles, I noticed how people walked right up and lit a candle. They might not have anything to do with that religion or whatever, but we instinctually know burning a candle helps. Burning a candle is important. So what if we touch into that instinct and use it to help us shift and to release some of the places where we're stuck? that We don't even know that we're stuck. We don't even necessarily know all the stories that we're carrying in our hearts until we sit in quiet and begin to write them down. And then as we write, it's so cathartic. And then we take those writings to the fire and burn them with the intention of releasing. So people can be radically honest in their answers. They don't have to worry about somebody coming across their journal or their piece of paper. We're taking that to the fire. And so if you're mad at your mother or your sister or your brother or your aunt or your uncle or the doctor or the hospital, you can write it all down with radical honesty and allow it to be released, even if you're mad at yourself. I know I sure was. I yeah. judge myself probably more harshly than anybody. I, I want to ask a question. If if you know somebody, you know, a family, friend, coworker that has lost someone, how how can you be supportive? Sometimes it's so hard for even people to find the words. It is. And, and unfortunately, a lot of the words, the platitudes that people serve up and have heard and don't know what to say are really get in the way. So people... Um, would come in and tell me, oh, everything's going to be okay. And I'm thinking, nope, nope, no. nothing's ever going to be okay. Or they'll yeah. say, um, oh, he, 
he's in a better place. And I got so tired of that one, too. I was ready to scream. I thought, well, I'm not in a better place. And I'm a little ticked off with him, actually, that he's in that better place because that was not supposed to happen. So, yeah. Right? So all of the things that people say, um, time to move on, you'll get over this, you'll see, time heals all wounds. Really? And how do you know that? Did you lose a child? Oh, okay. No. No. So, yeah. So sometimes the people that were really the best were the people that just came and sat, brought me tea, made sure I had something to eat, listened to me sob, yeah. didn't offer words, mm-hmm. um, platitude. Yeah. Um, maybe said, what, what do you need? What can I help you with? Do you yeah. need something at the store? Sure. Uh, do you need me to call somebody? Do you need me to, what can I do for you? Wow. Yeah. It's, it's all you right. really need to do, right? Just be there and be, be yeah. available. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One of my big pet peeves, too, is people come and they bring you, with best intentions, all huge casserole dishes and whole cakes and all this oh, stuff. So your refrigerator <laughs> is just clogged yeah. with things. And I really appreciate the people that would put things in a Tupperware container and a freezer. Mm-hmm. A small amount, right? So I, I could, was not in any shape to, oh, people said, oh, give it to charity. Well, I wasn't in any shape to drive Go to driving charity. to charity, right. Right. Exactly. Right. So yeah. so, yeah, be sensitive to the fact that people get very overwhelmed and can't even imagine cleaning out the refrigerator. And people need help with basic things. Yeah. So how did you uh, move through your grief and loss and rebuild your life? Well, I, w- I was really fortunate because my son came to me um, when I was in the airport trying to get back home. I was on vacation when he overdosed, and um, so he came to me in the airport, so I saw him. And um, after that, I could feel his presence around me. And I even ended up going to a medium. I said, I could, he's right there. He's standing right there. I can see him. I can feel him, but I can't hear what he's saying. Wait, he's time out. Karen, saying. Karen, the day he passed away, he came to you? Yep. Like like right after or right before? Oh, after. Right after. After he was, yeah, about 12 hours after he had passed. Oh, my God! I was sitting in the airport, and I could see him right in front of me. Just his, and his big old grin and his happy, and then he faded away. Okay. So I called my ex-husband, and I said, I think he's trying to get out. I think he's alive. You've got to go to the ME. You've got to tell him to open the freezer, because I think he's alive in there. He's telling me he's alive. And so she very kindly looked and said, no, I'm sorry, he's gone. And that was a doorway for me, because I wasn't really sure I believed in life after death. I mean, I know we hear about it, and we, but I never experienced it. This is a direct experience of life after death. And he's been with me throughout my entire journey and really guiding me um, mm-hmm. along the way. And I feel like so many synchronicities popped up. The right people came at the right time. And even I, when I was contemplating leaving my job and what was I going to do next and how was I going to manage to even stay employed because nothing made sense anymore, an evolutionary astrologer told me, well, someone that had a reading like yours became a shaman. Mm. And so I'm like, a shaman? And, and I, so I Googled it and looked it up, and I ended up finding the Four Winds, and and um, and I ended up training with Alberto Viotto at the Four Winds, and now I'm a teacher and a shaman, and I've changed my life completely. And so I know it's possible. I know it's possible to take these moments where you're grieving. In a way, we get a little window of opportunity where people 
expectations of us sort of recede a little. Mm -hmm. They know we're just not quite all there. And if you take that opportunity and say to yourself, if I could do anything I wanted to do without worrying about money or people or funds, what would I do? Sure. I was able to do it because I didn't have a big family. Sometimes we or we're young children or any of those things. But even if we're not able to do it immediately, just going through the exercise of getting back in touch with what you would want if you were living your own life and not living it for others, mm-hmm. what would you do? Yeah. Um, I yeah. want to touch on something. You talk about mindfulness practices. Yeah. Um, could you expand on that a little? Sure. So all these practices that are in my book are based on Buddhist philosophy or philosophy in general. I think they're sort of universally applicable. So what we want to do is get out of being stuck in the past and worrying about the future. We want to be present right here, right now. So allowing ourselves to release some of the things that are keeping us stuck in the past allows us to become lighter and then to actually awaken and then create a new life. Create a new life right here, right now. Okay. Based on our own desires, what we want, not what society wants for us. Certainly everybody thought I was crazy. I had a lifetime appointment. I had friends that came to me and uh, to my daughter and said, you know, your mother's grieving, she's going to regret this, and blah, blah, blah. And my daughter, very beautifully, who's an engineer, very left brain, so she's not woo-woo at all, um, said, I think my mother should shake her rattle and release her inner butterfly. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wait, you, wait, excuse me, you, Karen, you just said she's not woo-woo at all. Do people call you woo-woo? Oh, yeah. All the time. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Woo-woo and crazy and cute, you know. Yeah. And now I okay. embrace it all. It's like, okay. you know, it's funny. The people that think I was the most woo-woo and the most, had the most trouble um, adjusting to this new pers- person mm-hmm. um, now come to me and say, hey, can you do a healing for me? Uh, my friends just lost somebody. My, I'm sending your book. So, right, all things can change if you actually get in touch with who you really are and just hold on to that mm-hmm. fearlessly. Fearlessness is such a big element of change, is to fearlessly find out who you are and pursue that and and not let anybody pull you away or pull you down or pull you back. Yeah, I know, because a lot of yeah. people are stuck. Yeah. You know, where can people find out more about you and your book? Oh, gosh. Well, my website, karenjohnson.net, so you can find out about my book. You can click. There's a, a link. And also, I'm gonna, I have classes. I have an upcoming class on grief and loss. It's going to be five weeks. We're going to go through each of the um, four directions and all the practices in the book. And we do it as a community because there's something about grieving in community that's very beautiful. And you can also find me, Karen Johnson Healing, on Facebook and on Amazon. You can find my book, Living Grieving. And do you have another book in the works or an idea for the next book? I do. <laughs> How'd I know? I do. <laughs> you just knew. Yeah. So, and it really has to do with bringing joy to the grieving process, things that I found out. Um, because it's not just getting over the immediate grief, but wow, 
how do we go on with all the celebrations and ceremonies and death day and after death day and Christmas and New Year's and Hanukkah and holidays and Ramadan and all the different things um, that come up Valentine's Day. Oh, mm-hmm. People really suffer around Valentine's Day, too. So how can we bring a different perspective? Yeah. I will share this, yeah. though. Um, I used to get really sad around my grandmother's birthday because it fell either sometimes on Mother's Day or the day yeah. before Mother's Day. So I remember, and I would tell my girls this when they were younger, that my grandmother's favorite candy, which I would send to her, were Snickers. So I'd send mm. her Snickers and um, flowers, and I'd show up, and she'd have, like, chocolate all over her mouth. It was really cute. And so oh. for her birthday... I would say, okay, um, sorry, I know this is going to be a tough ask, but you have to eat Snickers <laughs> or, or something. You know, you do something to I honor that. that person. I yeah, love that because the little laugh to it makes it, changes the tone. You see what yes. you did right there? Exactly. Instead of going, oh, boo-hoo, yeah. you know, this is horrible. You made it a little bit light, a little bit fun, and, and that's, that makes all the difference. Right, and even like for my dad who passed away, I'd say, sorry, we have to eat chocolate cake. That was his favorite thing. I love it. I love it. So, you know, and it, it, it gives a little levity to a day that can be sad, you know, to do things that are yeah. nice and memorable and, uh, yeah, to honor somebody. So I want to thank you so much for calling into the show. I've really enjoyed having you on. Uh, I've been talking to Karen V. Johnson, talking about her new book, Living Grieving, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. And I put all the information on the show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. Thank you so much. 